0: Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. Chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area, one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our entire family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which I go more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month and that is hosted by our women program director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our assistant director of national events, Pete Karianis, in which she examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org. Now, let's welcome our guests to this month's podcast. It is a pleasure to introduce Chris Wainscott to the June edition of One Move at a Time. Chris grew up in Midland, Texas, where he learned to play chess at the age of four towards the end of the Fisher Boom. He now lives in Wisconsin. Chris has written for Chess Life, Chess Life Online, and American Chess Magazine, while also maintaining his website, OnTheRoadToChessMaster.com. He wrote our July 2015 cover story in Chess Life about our new golden age of American chess. In January 2014, in addition to Chess Life, he wrote about improving as an adult player. On Chess Life Online at uschess.org, his articles include among many, an obituary of Savan Meridian, an interview with Alex Velikinov, and a 2015 article about Rwanda Liang, who at that time had become our youngest I am to that point. Welcome to One Move at a Time, Chris. Thanks, Dan. I'm glad to be here. The main reason you're on this show, which focuses on our mission statement, is because you are involved in so many different aspects of having a chess life uh, that directly affect our mission, our vision, our goals, and values. You're a player, you're an organizer, a writer, a tournament director, uh, just an, a general ambassador for, for chess. Is Is there one particular aspect of this that gives you particular pleasure as a, a, in your chess life?
1: Yeah, I you know, I, it's funny because I didn't start out intending to be any of those things other than perhaps a player. But it felt like the deeper I got immersed into the world of chess, the more things I realized uh, were out there in terms of possibilities. Honestly, I would say that the thing that I like or that I get the most pleasure out of is writing. And the reason I say that is long before I ever wrote uh, my first whether article whether it was chess related or otherwise or or back when I was writing uh, ad copy for a living at one point in my life before I did any of those things I grew up as a kid just wanting to write stories I would write little short stories and perform them for my family uh for my classmates for whomever or wherever I could find an audience so I really enjoy writing because it gives me a chance to really dig deep and Do a lot of research about a topic that interests me, and to try and be as thorough as I can, which lets me
0: learn new things all of the time as well. Well, let's get into some of your writings. Um, So it was the July 2015 edition of Chess Life where you did the cover story titled "A New Golden Age for American Chess." You know, since you wrote that, things have only gotten wildly better. It's almost more like we're in a platinum age of American chess. What are the happenings and trends that you think will make the biggest long-term difference to American chess? You know, it's funny that has to be the best piece of
1: timing I've ever had in my life regarding anything. When I wrote that article, I was already seeing some of the things that I'll that I'll talk about here in a second as being uptrends and and just wild ways in which we could only get better as as a nation uh, on every level of chess. But since then. Look at all of the things that have happened. Sam Shanklin's become a world elite player. Uh, Fabiano transferred back to the U.S. I can't remember if he had done so uh, when I wrote the article. I think that was still he like, had not right. Okay, I think it was kind of talked about, but he hadn't quite made the transfer yet. Now we have Dominguez. We, we have five players that have that are either verging on top ten or have been in the top ten since Dominguez just made his big uh, jump up in the Russian team championship. So, you know, I, I, I think that. I've also always had the philosophy that a rising tide lifts all boats. so while as a fan of chess and professional level chess, I like seeing all of the things that are happening at the top. I think that that just kind of goes down a line and feeds itself the more the the more interest that comes about uh, or, or that uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is the more interest that the public at large has in the game as a result of some of the things like, winning gold in the Olympiad, winning silver in the most recent Olympiad, those things make it all the way down the line. I think that a lot of kids then get interested in chess because they see it as something that, you know, that isn't such a closeted activity in the U S anymore. I think that a lot of times that's been the issue where people who play chess have always kind of felt like we're on the fringe. Well, now the U S is a legitimate elite world power for the first time since perhaps the thirties, And I think that as a result of that, it makes more of the, we'll call them, you know, regular run of the mill GMs have more opportunities to teach kids, more kids get interested, more families get interested, more people in general. So I I think that, you know, since we've, since the time that article was written, I've seen so much more interest in chess just from the general public. Uh, I, I still feel like there's a, lot of room to grow there. I would have liked to have seen a lot more mainstream coverage of the Caruana Carlson World Championship match. I would have liked to have seen a lot more mainstream recognition of the the two uh, prior Olympiads where we won gold and silver respectively. But I think those things will come. And I think that uh, the, the more that we keep growing chess from the bottom up, I, I just think
0: it'll benefit everybody who loves the game. And when you wrote that article, uh, you had just recently like only a year or so earlier you, you were pretty much trying to break into the chess journalism business, business at least as far as chess life was concerned i'm not sure if you were writing for any other publication but before that uh talk a little bit about how to get it, it for people that are think they have a story to tell and want to get um involved in chess journalism well, how did you start with this so i started by writing for myself um
1: I created a blog which was one of the old blogspot blogs and I it's still out there. If you just look up uh, something like ontheroadtochessmaster.com uh and put the word blogspot in there, that'll pop up. And I just started writing for myself because I wanted to you know, I wanted to kind of dust off my writing skills. I hadn't used them in a while. And I had read something that but Vinick had, had written in his 100 uh, greatest games book where he talked about If you were if you wrote about chess, specifically, he was talking about analysis, but I take it beyond that. So if you wrote about chess, and you made that work available for others to see, you had to be deeply honest. Well, the thing that I was focusing at at the time was just becoming a stronger player. So one of the things I would do on this blog is I would write about how I had a plan to improve and this is what I was going to do. And then because I was putting it out there, I had to go back and kind of give progress reports of what I had done versus what I had said I would do and so on and so forth. So to answer your question, what what you really need to do if it's something that you want to break into is you have to decide that you're willing to grow an audience by just writing what you want to write. As a matter of fact, John Hartman touched on this recently in an interview on Ben Johnson's perpetual chess podcast where he talked about how the first, however many dozens or hundreds of things he wrote, he just wrote for free, whether it was for his own blog or for another blog or for a a state magazine or whatever the case would be, just anyone who was willing to give you a chance to write take the chance and write. And I and I have to echo John's comments very you know very much the same. If anyone out there is interested in becoming a, a chess writer or any other kind of writer, find someone who will give you the chance to write something, understand that you're probably not going to make any money doing it at least for a while and just do it out of love. If you if you hone your craft out of love of doing it, The only thing that will happen at the end of the day is you'll get better. Once you get good enough, opportunities will come along. It it certainly helps if you're a titled player or anything like that. But I think that myself and, and certainly to a much larger extent, John, are proof that you don't have to be. If you have a
0: love for writing, if you have a love for chess, you'll find an audience. And I can echo that with my own personal story. I when I started with chess journalism, it was writing the club newsletter for the Savannah uh, Chess Club in Savannah, Georgia. You know, and I, I certainly wasn't being paid for that. But I, I found that it was something that I was interested in, had a talent in. And the next thing I know, there was a straight line to working for Chess Life Magazine. So, that that's I think excellent advice you've you've given. And for people that are interested in writing for Chess Life, sometimes they think that we're some sort of corporate monolith and unreachable. But I went back and looked at our old emails, and you just you introduced yourself to me via email. Said I'm interested in writing. Um, you know, these are the topics I'm interested in, and pretty quickly you were writing for just life.
1: Yeah. And I I would actually, it's funny. I I realized that I wanted to circle back to that really quickly before you mentioned it. I I think that the other thing that people need to understand if they want to be a writer is just take a chance. The the worst thing that can happen when you ask if you can do something is that you can be told no, it's not going to be a devastating blow that you'll never recover from. It's just how life goes sometimes. And so that's exactly what I did. I mean, I remember very well, Uh, when I wrote you that first email, I just, I decided that I thought I was getting reasonably good at writing, or at least that I was starting to make more sense when I would write. And so I thought, well, why not ask for a chance? And I believe if I recall correctly, you initially turned me down because I was looking for a column, but I was persistent in bringing up the topics I wanted to write about. And you said, sure, I'll give you a chance to write about being an adult improver. And off we went. So I think it's important for people just to realize that if there's something you want to do, reach out to somebody
0: who can make it happen and ask for their help. And that article about being an adult improver was in our January 2014 issue. And it was essentially a feature length version of Lev Alberts. Back to Basics column. Tell me some of your memories about working on this article and working with Lev. Well, first of all, it was it, honestly, it was just really cool to get to talk to Lev. You know, he,
1: he's he's an old school guy. He does everything with a pad and paper. So we had an actual telephone conversation, which seems rare in and of itself these days. But you know, I I, I called him. We talked for a while. He asked me a bunch of questions about my approach to both playing and analyzing and preparing to play. Um, So I I had a great time uh, as far as that part goes. I mean, my, my story is kind of the similar, similar as a lot of other people's where I started playing chess when I was much younger. I left chess shortly after high school. And then I came back. Well, one of the constants during that time was love because love was already around in, in 92 or so when I played my last tournament for almost 20 years. So Getting to come back and then shortly after that, a year or so after I started playing again, getting to actually speak with Lev and work with Lev, that was just a dream come true on so many levels. Um, As far as the rest of the article, uh, it's it's funny because my wife is actually, uh, she was a communications major. So I had her as my proofreader, which was really nice. Although I kept having to explain terminology to her quite often because chess terminology doesn't make sense to non-chess players. Um, So I, I remember those two worlds colliding quite a bit as well, where I would have to explain concepts to her just so she could understand what it was that she was trying to edit. Um, (laughs) But you know, and then of course, and and this is something I've never lost to this day. When I got the issue in the mail, and I opened it up, and I saw my name in print, I was just practically giddy. And and to be brutally honest, at this point, I've lost track of how many things I've had published in uh, between Chess Life, Chess Life Online, American Chess Magazine. Um, You know, I've just lost track at this point. But Every single time I see see my name, I still get the same thrill I did the first time I saw it in chess. (laughs)
0: So that was just, it was a, it was just a fantastic experience all the way around. Yeah, that that's really cool to hear. Uh, do you, you know, shockingly, that article is now half a decade old. Do you have a different perspective on chess improvement than you did when you wrote that article? In some ways, I think I do. I mean, if
1: anybody wants to go look at my rating graph on U.S. Chess, you'll see these wild swings where uh, you know my, my rating fluctuates massively. You know, it, it I'll have two hundred point swings in either direction over the course of a year year and a half on a on a pretty regular basis and the thing that i've learned as i've gotten further into trying improve is not to be so rating focused but really just to trust the process Um, i work with a coach uh, grandmaster josh fredell on a fairly regular basis or at least i've started to on a fairly regular basis again and i've just kind of taken the advice from him of just just trust the process don't focus on the little things that aren't as important, like how are my results in this one game or in this one situation. Just just approach it with the hunger to learn and the hunger to, to really absorb the knowledge and improvement will follow.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, Josh is another regular writer for Chess Life and Chess Life Online. So we're, 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 we're covering all the chess journalism uh, bases here. Uh <laughs> Yeah, let's move into some of your other areas of chess involvement. Um, uh, I, I'm especially interested in your work with the Wisconsin um, Chess Association. I, our state affiliates and and the volunteers who are on those boards are often the unsung heroes of U.S. chess. Talk talk about what your position on the board is and the good work that Wisconsin is doing. Currently, I'm just a member of the board. I've
1: actually held the role of secretary in the past, um, but currently I'm just one of the members on a nine member board. Uh, So we run a number of tournaments every year in Wisconsin, ranging from what you would think of as your typical weekend Swiss to. tournaments that focus specifically on juniors for example we have the tournament which qualifies our denker and our barber representative and our girls tournament representative um, along with our senior tournament representative and another tournament that's held simultaneously with that so we run tournaments like that but we also try and do some outreach um a lot of times when any organization whether it's one of the parks organizations here locally or some library organization anytime they have any idea to run some sort of chess program one of the things they'll do is they'll start using google they'll see the wisconsin chess association and they'll reach out and they'll ask us how we might be able to help them with that or participate in those sort of opportunities as well so it's, I mean, like you said, it really does involve a lot of unsung heroes. As a matter of fact, the president of the Wisconsin Chess Association also happens to be a member of the U.S. Chess Board. It's Mike Neatman. So, you know, we, we we really take the mission of growing chess seriously, both uh, for the state and then beyond the state as well, because we have that direct feedback coming from Mike in terms of things that maybe other other states are trying or that U.S. Chess itself is trying. So, we just try and focus on
0: on making things better for anyone who's interested in chess at any level. I'm curious, when you have someone like Mike Neatman, who's who's a, a long, long-term long president of Wisconsin Association, correct?
1: Yeah, I think since uh, late 80s or early 90s. It's a long time. Yeah, I know he's been on the board that long. I'm not certain how long he's been president, but for
0: the vast majority of the time. So when you have someone like him on your state association board, who's also on the U.S. chess executive board... Do does that does he often bring in U.S. Chess guidance to Wisconsin Association business, saying you know U.S. Chess is focusing here, Wisconsin needs to as well, or is it very very Wisconsin focused? Um, it's it's kind of an amalgamation of the two. Um, we
1: do get some feedback on what's going on in U.S. Chess. I can give you a really good example um, at some point in the past year or two. Uh, U.S. Chess decided uh, to have some sort of outreach to try and see which states might be interested in creating a women's state championship tournament, separate from an open tournament. And that was something that was brought back to us by Mike that we were able to talk about and see if that might be something that we could get going on our end. So some of it is like that, where it's a mission coming back from that US chess is going to focus on. that comes back to us that we try and incorporate into our own activities. But a lot of it is just Wisconsin focused, um, trying to figure out how we can grow things locally, things that we can do to improve uh, conditions for players locally. I mean, Wisconsin is you know, there's, there's only two main cities or two major population areas, I should say, in Wisconsin, which is Madison and Milwaukee. But if you if you look at a breakdown of all of the chess players in the state, they actually come from all over the state. It's not just those two areas. So there's a lot up in the northeastern part of the state, Green Bay, et cetera. There's a bunch that live up on uh, towards the Minnesota border. So... You know, A lot of the work that we do is just trying to make sure that when we're holding tournaments, we're not always going in the same areas and ignoring people who may not otherwise
0: uh, have a chance to, to be as involved as they, they could be. And a- another area of chess leadership that you have on the local level is you mentioned to me that you're president of the Southwest Chess Club, not Southwest United States, but Southwest corner of the Milwaukee area. Um, talk about the size of that club, your your role in keeping it running, uh, anything that might help people trying to keep a club active in the local areas. Sure. Um,
1: well, first of all, I'll start out by telling you how I became president, because I think that's a story that a lot of the listeners would get a chuckle out of. And that's that I actually I lost a coin toss. So our, we, we've only had three presidents during the uh, tenure of the club. And the club's been around since, uh, I, I believe, the early 80s, maybe a little bit later than that. Um, Joe Crothers was the first president. He was president for a long time. He wound up passing away. A gentleman named Tom Fojack took over and he was the president for a number of years. Well, Tom moved out to San Diego a few years ago to spend more time with his grandkids. And so myself and another gentleman were the two natural, uh, people to succeed him. And both of us, for various reasons, just, you know, we were hesitant to take on the role because it's a lot of work and it's a, it's a lot of thankless work, but really it's just a lot of work. And so we finally decided, let's just flip a coin and the loser has to take the job, which probably is not the normal way in which you become president of an organization. Um, but I, I got to tell you, ever since losing that coin toss, I've become very glad that I did. Um, it, you really get a feel for what it takes to grow the game at all levels when you when you start presiding over an organization we're lucky in that we have a permanent location we don't own a building like a lot of the clubs do in st louis or uh you know the mechanics or the marshal or anything like that but we have a local uh we have a local government building that allows us to use their basement so it's a city hall that lets us use their basement uh every thursday to hold our club meetings we do focus highly on rated tournaments which is what most of our members prefer. But we also, you know, we don't ignore the fact that a lot of people don't want to play rated chess. They just want to show up and play casual games, whether it's with someone they've known for years or maybe with a new friend they might have just met that day at the club. So, you know, we try and serve both segments of the community. I, I think one of the things that gets lost when a lot of people start participating In the world of rated chess is you get so entranced by the fact that you can compare your progress with the progress of others that you forget that once upon a time you didn't even know there was such a thing as rated chess and that the majority of the players in the world who play on a regular basis don't play in rated events either. So we try and make sure that for the people that just want to show up and have a place to socialize and play casual games amongst uh, themselves that we provide that. We also try and make sure that we provide a more serious tournament environment
0: for the players who want to show up and play in rated games. So we try and bridge the two gaps between those two worlds. How many club members are there and about how many show up on any given Thursday evening? So
1: it fluctuates quite a bit, mostly with the school year. There's a lot of kids who will kind of drop out uh, or not come as regularly during school, especially as they get closer to college age. Um, So I would say in the summer, we actually will get uh, anywhere from 30 to 35, sometimes closer to 50 players uh, on a Thursday night. Um, During the school year or especially during the winter when we have inclement weather, then it kind of dwindles down to the core 20 to 25 of us that show up on a regular basis. Um, But honestly, I think we're doing as good as – as a lot of clubs, I mean, I, I know that there's a lot of clubs that have a hard time just finding a place to hold a meeting, and that has a severe impact on membership. And we're just fortunate that the Village of Hales Corners allows us to use the basement of, the, of their, uh, their village hall. So because we have a, a set location, we usually have a pretty easy time attracting people, especially we'll have people that will come back that haven't played or, or been to the club in years, and everything's right where they left it. What are the do's? $10 a year. And do you have any? Do you have a website? Um, we have a – we do. I believe it's southwestchessclub.com. We don't use our website much. We have a, a Blogspot blog, which is, I believe, swccchess.blogspot.com. That's where we post all of the results and upcoming
0: events that we have. Um, A link to our website is on that blog page. You had also told me that you are in talks with local officials to run some Chess in the Park events in the near future. Uh, Is this under your Southwest Chess Club hat or the Wisconsin Chess Association hat? Um, It's kind of a
1: mixture of both, I guess. The opportunity was presented to me. Uh, through the Wisconsin Chess Association. A gentleman had reached out to Mike Meatman and contacted him. Mike asked if anybody would be interested in kind of picking up the ball and running with it. I reached out to the guy more or less as a board member, but also as the president of the Southwest Club. And he's just the the, the gentleman who's interested in doing this. He's just trying to find uh, room in his schedule to make it happen. But he's just really excited at the idea of having some sort of you know the chess in the park style event whether it would be some sort of casual unrated tournament or just some friendly come out and play games i think it's part of a larger initiative by the city but i'm a little fuzzy on the details of that because i've only had one conversation Um, but i think it would be really nice I, i i think that those are the kinds of things that shouldn't get overlooked in the journey to promote chess to a wider audience you know i i We used to, uh, the Southwest Club used to go to Polish Fest, which is one of the local ethnic festivals here every year. And we would get quite a few people who would stop by the booth that we had at Polish Fest. And they were just excited to to see that, hey, there's a chess club in the area. Some of them wound up becoming members and showing up to the club on a regular basis. Some we never saw again. But those kind of little initiatives where you have community outreach, you know, those
0: can be so,
1: so beneficial.
0: Are there any kind of equivalents in the Milwaukee area of New York's Washington Square Park where chess players are already gathering?
1: Not as far as I'm aware. I mean, there's a couple of local coffee shops where occasionally people will meet up, but nothing on a regular basis like Washington Square or anything like that where you know you can go there, uh, or Chicago where they have their Chess Pavilion Park. There's nothing like that here, unfortunately. Maybe someday I'll add that to my drawing list of irons in the fire. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, and, and to that point, you're, you are looking to uh, – uh, while you're certainly a, now a professional chess writer, uh, it, it's not the most lucrative of professions. And uh, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned that you're in the process of becoming part owner of a local business that runs scholastic tournaments, after-school programs, and private lessons. Um uh, what what is going on with that? Is this a, a new business uh, that's being created from the ground up?
1: No, it's actually an existing organization that, as of four days ago, I along with another gentleman became uh, the the new owners of. Um, it, it's the name is the International Academy of Chess. We're going to wind up rebranding it to have a more uh, area specific name at some point, although that's kind of low on the priority list right now. Um, but it, it's an exi- it's an organization that's existed for quite a while. I think we're actually the fourth ownership group. Um, most of the focus is on after-school programs and private lessons. And we also hold uh, something around a half a dozen scholastic tournaments uh, each year with both rated and non-rated sections. Um, it, it's I can tell you, if you would have asked me two months ago, hey, would you be interested in becoming owner of a scholastic chess organization, I would have told you I'd never have the time and there was no way. But once the opportunity was presented to me and I realized that because of the fact that the, the, the prior owner is actually moving out to San Francisco to take a job at Bay Area Chess, it was either I stepped up and, and helped take this over or there was a chance that it would kind of just start to die off. Now, it's not like we're the only local scholastic organization. There are a couple of others. Uh, there's one that's really well run. Um, that's run by Alex Bettinelli, which is the Wisconsin Chess Academy. And so it, it's not like Scholastic Chess would have taken a huge hit had we had myself and the other gentleman not stepped up. But it just didn't seem right. It didn't seem right to kind of let those, uh, those after-school programs fall by the wayside. I mean, it seems like that can be one of the, the most detrimental things to any sort of chess program is the second it loses just a little bit of momentum – you know, the inertia just takes hold and it's hard to get it restarted. So it just seemed like the right thing to do. Um, I was lucky enough that my wife fully supported the decision, even though she knows that's going to take up more of my time. So
0: I, I decided it, it only made sense, both for myself and for the area. Is this potentially a large enough company that it could become your primary source of income?
1: That's a very interesting question. I, I believe that the answer to that is probably Yes. Although it would take some time to get there. I mean, I'm lucky that I have a natural feel for marketing and innovation. I spent a lot of time working in sales and marketing. So I, I, you know, I see some opportunities that I think maybe weren't uh, seen in the past. So I I think that, I mean, that's something I would certainly love to do. I, I, I could never imagine a better job than being able to be involved in chess all day.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, That that's the dream for many people who, who enjoy this game. Yeah, we envy people like you who have made it. <laughs> and another uh, thing that I hit upon as I was researching you pr- in preparing for this interview was uh, in an interview with Dan Schultz, you discussed the Savannah Mer- Radian Memorial and the incredible generosity of Hikaru Nakamura. Given that he's again the U.S. champion, I, I thought it would be interesting to revisit that story. What and you know, and why don't you tell our listeners about that story and any lasting legacy of it?
1: Sure. Um, well, for anyone who's not aware, Savan Moradian was an organizer in Chicago, and he ran tournaments of all levels. I mean, he ran a lot of things just for casual weekend players, but he also ran quite a few norm events. Uh, there, there's a number of title players who got one or more of their norms at his events, including players such as Ray Robson. So there's, you know, there's, there's a nice distinguished list there. Savon very unexpectedly passed away a few years ago. Um, You know, it was, there was no warning sign that anything was wrong. He wound up just suddenly passing away one day. And so one of the things that Glenn Panner, who's a, a Chicago area organizer, uh, one of the things he wanted to do, because he and Savon used to co-organize a lot of things together, everybody was reaching out to Glenn and saying, hey, is there going to be some sort of memorial tournament? You know, what are you going to do? And Glenn decided that it, it made sense to, to create an event like that. So amazingly, on only a few months notice, Glenn put together this, this incredible event that took place and was relatively successful. All of the money that was raised, or you know, any any profit that the tournament made, was given to uh, Savon's widow, who put it towards uh, providing for their, their two daughters' education. Well, the next year, of course, the question was asked, well, are you going to do it again? And so Glenn decided that it made sense to make it an annual event. And I, I was just having a casual messenger conversation with Hikaru one day um he and I have been friends for a few years and we had been friends for a little while at that point and he knew Savon a little bit as well and he had a lot of respect for him so when I was just casually mentioning hey yeah you know I'm gonna go play in this event and I'm hoping to you know hoping it'll be successful he said well I think I'm gonna match anything you guys raise and so you know I I I mean, I'm, I'm almost never at a loss for words, but even now, a couple of years later, it's still really hard to find the words. It, it, was, it was one of the most incredible acts of generosity I've ever witnessed. You know, here's a guy who, it, it's, and, and the thing about Hikaru doing this, he wasn't looking for any publicity. He didn't care if his name was associated with it or not. He just wanted it to happen because he felt it was the right thing to do because he felt that it was important to give back when you have people like Savon in the community who, who, who leave us too soon and who leave, you know, a widow and orphans behind. And I was actually the one who outed him. Uh, this was, uh, I, I don't remember what event was taking place, but there was some event taking place in St. Louis at the time. Actually, maybe it was the U S championship that year. And so I actually emailed Jennifer Shahade and and had her more or less ambush Hikaru on air by mentioning it to get him to talk about it. And then, of course, I also outed him again when I talked to Dan Schultz during that interview. Um, and I also told Yermo because Yermo wrote uh, a piece for an online publication uh, talking about the tournament. So I, I made sure that everybody knew that Hikaru had stepped up and done this. It was one of the greatest things I've I've ever witnessed in terms of somebody who, you know, just just felt like they had to do what they thought was the right thing in that situation. You know, he had the ability to do it and the desire to do it. And
0: I to this day, I'm I'm humbled to be his friend. It's always nice to hear that uh, our top players are good guys as well. Yeah, I, absolutely. Is the memorial event an annual one, do you know? Yeah, it usually takes place over
1: Thanksgiving weekend. Um, it's it uh, For any Midwestern players, you'll know what I'm talking about. For anyone not from the Midwest, come on out and find it. But uh, it usually is held at the Hyatt Schaumburg, which is where the uh, amateur team tournament takes place as well. So it's a Chicago-area hotel where a lot of bigger events are held. Um, it's been over Thanksgiving weekend, Uh Every year since its it was, since its inception, um, as a matter of fact, I took over running one of the Wisconsin-based tournaments. Uh, or, well, I co-took over running one of the Wisconsin-based tournaments and got it off of that weekend, so there was no competition. I didn't want people having to decide which
0: event to 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 give their their entries to. This is our. 80th anniversary year at us chess and i'm asking this question of all of my guests so in your 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 next on the firing line what has us chess meant to you community i think more than
1: anything else community um when i when i first started playing chess you know as you mentioned in the introduction I was 4 years old, my mom and some of her friends just were learning how to play. It was the tail end of the Fisher Boom, it was 1977. So the Fisher Boom was for all intents and purposes in its death throes. They decided they wanted to learn how to play. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um so I, you know, I learned how to play as well and I enjoyed playing casually with either friends of mine who might know how to play or my mom or my grandfather. Um, or, or anyone like that. I just I had a good time doing it. Well, when I was in uh, the ninth grade, I was introduced to rated chess by my my ninth grade uh, history teacher, who ran the chess program at the school that I attended at the time. And I wound up playing in the Texas Junior Championships, and I thought that was you know it was, was kind of cool. And then what I learned in the ensuing years beyond that is that you know once you once you become a member of us chess you have this ability to go find local area organizations whether it's a a weekend tournament that's being held or a club that takes place on a weeknight you know you can you can look up these organizations and when you go there you already have something in common with everyone in the room you know when i when i decided to make a return to chess in 2011 the first thing I did is I looked up the U.S. Chess website. I found uh, a couple of local clubs in the area, including the, the one that I'm now president of. And I went to their club meetings and walking through the door, nobody is looking at you like, oh, you know, what's this guy want? What's he doing? You don't get any of that kind of stuff that you do in so many other activities. Instead, what you get is a group of people who understand that you share uh, an enjoyment for for the same activity and so who embrace you as a result they're talking to you like you're an old friend within minutes and you know i've, I've had jobs over the past few years where i travel quite a bit for business and even when i travel to another city i can just find a club in the area show up and again it's like you've got a dozen friends in the room with you within just a few minutes so to me it's u.s chess really is about community community at all levels from you know, if you're interested in, in serious top-level chess, you can you can see that as part of U.S. chess. If you're interested in just community
0: gatherings, you can see that as well and everything in between. Chris, I really love that answer. It's really nice to hear how much the game and the organization has, has meant to you. And, you know, again, as I'm looking over this list and what we've talked about and all the various aspects of chess that you're involved in i, I think i'm going to w the renaissance man of chess isn't that dan heisman's title oh is it okay well i think I, he used to have a show called ask the renaissance man okay but i could be like the, the the renaissance uh prince or something i don't know he's the king <laughs> okay. and 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 dan heisman if i if i have stolen that i apologize it was unintended <laughs>
1: I'm probably one of only a couple of people who even remember that show. It was a long time ago. Well, that would speak to the point
0: of you being the Renaissance man. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So, Chris, thank you very much for joining us on One Move at a Time, and keep up all the good work.
1: It was a pleasure to be here, Dan.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to One Move at a Time. Our theme music was composed by Alex King, a national master who lives in Memphis, Tennessee. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 educational nonprofit. You can find more information about us at uschess.org, where you can become a member by clicking on the join button, and you can donate to our cause by clicking on the donate button. I hope that you have learned something new about how to build chess within your community. Join us next month for another Chess World personality and more good ideas.